eyes. With a smirk of self-admiration, he sucked in the raw bourbon. It tickled his throat and made him feel powerful and at peace with everyone. Save that fellow, he could not recall who, but it was someone whom he would shortly chastise, and after that flowed into an elysium of benevolence. The barroom was deliciously calming. The sour, invigorating stench of beer made him feel healthy. The bar was one long shimmer of beauty, glowing mahogany, exquisite marble rail, dazzling glasses, curiously shaped bottles of unknown liquors piled with a craftiness which made him very happy. The light was dim, completely soothing, coming through fantastic windows such as are found only in churches, saloons, jewelry shops, and other retreats from reality. On the brown plaster walls were sleek, naked girls. He turned from them. He was empty now of desire for women. That damn Juanita just wants to get all she can out of you, that's all, he grumbled. But there was an interesting affair beside him. A piece of newspaper sprang up, apparently by itself, and slid along the floor. That was a very funny incident, and he laughed greatly. He was conscious of a voice which he had been hearing for centuries, echoing from a distant point of light and flashing through ever-widening corridors of a dream. We'll get kicked out of here, Hellcat. Come on. He floated up. It was exquisite. His legs moved by themselves without effort. They did a comic thing once. They got twisted, and the right leg leaped in front of the left, when, so far as he could make out, it should have been behind. He laughed and rested against someone's arm, an arm with no body attached to it, which had come out of the evigkeit to assist him. Then unknown, invisible blocks, miles of them, his head clearing, and he made grave announcement to a Jim Lefferts, who suddenly seemed to be with him, I gotta lick that fella. All right, all right. You might as well go find a nice little fight and get it out of your system. Elmer was astonished. He was grieved. His mouth hung open and he drooled with sorrow. But still he was to be allowed one charming fight, and he revived as he staggered industriously in search of it. Oh, he exulted, it was a great party. For the first time in weeks he was relieved of the boredom of Terwillinger College. Two. Elmer Gantry, best known to classmates as Hellcat, had, this autumn of 1902, been football captain and led the best team Terwillinger College had known in ten years. They had won the championship of the East Middle Kansas Conference, which consisted of ten denominational colleges, all of them with buildings and presidents and chapel services and yells and colors and a standard of scholarship equal to the best high schools. But since the last night of the football season, with the glorious bonfire in which the young gentleman had burned up nine tar barrels, the sign of the Jew tailor and the president's tabby cat, Elmer had been tortured by boredom. He regarded basketball and gymnasium antics as light-minded for a football gladiator. When he had come to college, he had supposed he would pick up learnings of cash value to a lawyer, a doctor, or insurance man. He had not known which he would become— and in his senior year, age 22 this November, he still was doubtful. But this belief he found fallacious. What good would it be in the courtroom or at the operating table to understand trigonometry or to know, as last spring up to the examination on European history, he remembered having known the date of Charlemagne? How much cash would it bring in to quote all that stuff? 
what the dickens was it now, all that rot about the world is too much around us early and soon from that old fool Wordsworth. Punk, that's what it was. Better be out in business. But still, if his mother claimed she was doing so well with her millinery business and wanted him to be a college graduate, he'd stick by it. A lot easier than pitching hay or carrying two-by-fours anyway. Despite his invaluable voice, Elmer had not gone out for debating because of the irritating library grinding, nor had he taken to prayer and moral eloquence in the YMCA, for with all the force of his simple and valiant nature he detested piety and admired drunkenness and profanity. Once or twice in the class in public speaking, when he had repeated the splendors of other great thinkers, Daniel Webster and Henry Ward Beecher and Chauncey M. Depew, he had known the intoxication of holding an audience with his voice, as with his closed hand, holding it, shaking it, lifting it. The debating set urged him to join them, but they were rabbit-faced.